Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. How many of you can remember what it felt like to fall in love for the first time? Yeah, first time boyfriend, girlfriend, would you remember that? All of a sudden, for the first time, you had this awareness, and it was just different, wasn't it? I remember, for me, it was in the fourth grade. <laughs> what are you laughing about? I'm serious. The girl's name was Patricia, and uh, I'd known her since we were little. I guess we were still little, weren't we? But, uh, you know, it's just this, oh, wow, you know, there she is. And, you know, of course, fourth grade, fifth grade, even in sixth grade, we never talked to each other. Uh, I didn't know if she liked me. I thought she did. But still, there was that, that feeling, right? I mean, I, I did things like, you know, uh, we had end tables in our living room at the end of the sofa stuff, and I, I, underneath her, I, I wrote her name. And, you know, a few years later, my dad, said, what is this? Um, and then by the sixth grade, I think we, we both, or I worked up enough nerve to let her know that I liked her, and she said, you're a drip. And that was it. <laughs> but this, this feeling of love changed things in my life. It changed, you know, what I looked at, the way I thought about things, the way I responded to things, where I wanted to be. What, it began to change things. And then, really, I actually ran into the, the love of my life. I was uh, a freshman. No, how old was I? Let's see. You were a, I was a sophomore in, in, in University of Missouri. And I, was, I came walking down the church aisle. I've told you the story before, for those of you who know it. But I came walking down the church aisle, and I looked, up, and here she came. This, the, the lady who would become my wife. Beautiful, long hair, eyes, face. And I stood there and looked at her, and I think I did like this. <laughs> and she blushed, which was really cool. And it went off. Anyway, so uh, three years later, we got married. But this, this whole idea of, of love just changes how we feel and what we do. And, and rape changes our lives in a lot of ways. But the reality is, is that all of the love that we try to experience here in life always comes up short somewhere, doesn't it? Because we are sinful human beings. Um, I mean, that's, that's the way we started, and God works on us to change us out of that. Uh, but because we tend to be focused on self, and even this whole idea of love often becomes, you know, what, what I want out of it, and I want to be a blessing Christian too, but what I want, and so there's always, you know, it doesn't live up to our expectations at some point. Even, you know, if, if you're here and newly married, I don't want to burst your bubble. <laughs> and, and love is awesome, and I'm, I'm still in love today. I'm more in love than I was when I met my wife and got married. It's a different kind of love, much deeper, much more fulfilling. But still, there's times for both of us when we struggle that, you know, that's what you're expecting and hoping it just isn't. That. And I think this is because we are human beings. We are not perfect. We do have that uh, tendency to, you know, to be in it for ourselves. 
And so it, it doesn't meet our expectations. And by the way, we live in a whole society that's, that's, that's basing its, whole, its concepts of love on these feelings, isn't it? And when the feelings end, what do you do? Take off. Go find somebody else. And we're experiencing that in our culture in, in a way that's done a lot of damage. Um, but when we start to understand love from God's perspective, we start to see that love is not about a feeling that you know, makes us feel good, even though that does change us. And it's, it's not, love isn't about that. Love really ultimately isn't even about what I want for myself first. The kind of love that God demonstrates is a, an act of the will. Where, where God decided to love us, which meant he chose to act in our best interests every time, all the time, even when we don't like it. Because he knows what's best for us, doesn't he? And even at great cost to himself. And when we come face-to-face -face with that kind of love and, and allow it to, to come into our lives and for God to work, it changes everything. And, and I gotta tell you is that I have had, and, and I know we go through different things in life and, and how we feel, but I have never had a time when I was disappointed in the love of God. I've had times because of where I was at, I didn't much like what was going on, and I struggled with that. But God has always loved me and will always love you by acting in my best interest and your best interest, even at great cost to himself. And that's what I wanna show you today, that love, how God demonstrated his love toward us, the biggest way, the beginning way, in a way that changes everything from there on in our lives. So let's take our Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter three. If you don't have a Bible with you today, that's okay. There, there are Bibles in the racks under the, the pews there, and I'm gonna give you the page number so you don't have to worry about trying to find it. Page 1223 in the Bible that's there. We're gonna look at some verses, especially one of them today that's, that's very well known. You may have heard it a lot, even as you grew up, or you've heard it from churches before. Um, but the Gospel of John, John said he told us why he wrote his Gospel. He said, I wrote this Gospel and I record the things I did about Jesus' life and teachings so that you could have a relationship with him, so that you might be able to have eternal life. And so what Pastor we're gonna look at today is, is gonna talk about this love of God that changes everything and change it in such a way that we can not only have, but have assurance of eternal life. So we're gonna begin in verse number 16, again, page 1223 in the Bible there in the pew. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. 
But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Help us to understand it, understand what it means in our lives, and then draw us to respond to you in ways that would honor you and would be great blessing to us. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this first part of this verse in in verse 16 really is a a verse that would be quite popular in our culture today. Uh, Even though our culture is not, you know, really lining themselves up with God, the idea to tell people that God so loved the world, God loves the world, that's popular, isn't it? And it's true. It really is good news. God so loved the world. You know, this means that God loves everybody in the world. He loves the people that I love. He loves the people I don't love. He loves the people who see things my way. And he loves the people who don't see it my way. It's amazing to me, how can he do that? I mean, because let's be honest, aren't there people that you don't feel very loving toward? And you might be able to say, well, I, I, I somehow, somehow I do love them. But really, you know, it's not there. Uh, but God loves the whole world. There is nobody who has followed sin so far in their lives that God no longer loves them. You can't do that. We sing, one of our songs says that, you know, that when I wander, God's love goes further. Right? So God loves everybody. Go ahead and go to that next slide if you would, John. Okay. God loves everybody. And, and that is good news and encouraging. But here's, I mean, God has even described, describes himself in the word as God is love. Now, what really makes this love amazing is the context in which God loves us. Okay, because the reality is is that we haven't always been very lovable, have we? I mean, I think I'm a pretty lovable guy, you know? Pillsbury Doughboy kind of thing. (laughs) But the reality is I haven't always been very lovable. And so there's a context to God's love. You see, God loves everybody, but nobody deserves it. Nobody deserves it to be loved by God. And so, so let's talk about this. Let's talk about the way we have lived our lives uh, and, and where that puts us in our relationship with God. And, and let's think about this. This is the God who, who loves us, the God who has created us. He's created the whole world and, and, and provided so many things for us. And what have we done in return? Every one of us at some point in our lives, we have sinned. That's right. And so let's walk our way through this for just a little bit. Let's talk about the Ten Commandments, okay? The Ten Commandments. Most of us have heard of the Ten Commandments. And in this, God says that you shall have no other gods before me. I am to be the most important one in your entire life, every moment, every day. How have you done with that? I've broken that many times. 
He says, no, no idols, nothing. There should be no thing in your life that is more important to you than I am. Have you ever let something in your life be more important to you than God? Even for just a moment? I have. I've broken that one. And he says, don't use my name in vain. And we typically think of that as being, well, don't, you know, don't use my name as a curse word. And that's true. Uh, but... We won't ask for a show of hands. How many have you ever used this name as a curse word? Or, or even just use it lightly. Use it in ways that, that you weren't really taking God seriously when you were using his name. Or even calling yourself a believer in God but not acting like it. Taking his name in vain. I've broken this one. Have you? Then he talks about the Sabbath. And the Sabbath being uh, the day when he gave the Jews, he says, one day out of seven, I don't want you to work. I want you to, to stay home and to worship me. And we're no longer under this law. The Bible's very clear about this. But what it does tell me is that God gets to decide how I use my days. God is the one who should decide. What do I do with this day that he's given me? Have you always used every day, very consciously saying, God, what did you give me this day for to live for you? Or have you ever just kind of done your own thing? We've all broken that one, haven't we? And, and I may get them out of order here, okay? So don't, I'm not trying to follow a list with you here. But he tells us to honor our parents. That means we are to give them the rightful respect that's due to them. And when, we were, when we're young, and by the way, if you're a teenager still at home or an older child still at home, you're still under authority. You need to obey them. Well, was there ever a time when you didn't properly honor your parents or dissipate? We've broken that one, haven't we? We've broken it. Then, you know, the Bible says, don't kill anybody. Finally one, right? I don't know if we have anybody here who's, who's murdered anybody or not. Um, but Jesus tells us something. He says, here's the deal. The Bible says, thou shalt not kill but if you've ever hated anybody in your heart, he said, you've broken this commandment because it's a heart issue. Was there ever a time in your life, ever a moment in your life where you hated somebody? I'm not a very big person on hate. I just don't have a lot of time, but I have had that in my life. There have been some times where I just hated somebody. I've broken that commandment. Have you? Uh, don't steal. You ever taken something that doesn't belong to you? As a, maybe as a kid taking something small or maybe bigger. Have there ever been a time when you were at work and you were supposed to be working for your employer and instead you did something you wanted to do? We're stealing. We're taking things that don't belong to ourselves. I've broken that one. Have you broken it? You know, don't commit adultery. And I think a bunch of us in here again would say, well, good, haven't done that one either. Yet Jesus raises the bar again, as he always does, and challenges us in our heart. And he says, if you've ever lusted after anyone in your heart, and you just thought about it, and you think it can, but you never went there. He says, in your heart, you've already broken this commandment. I've broken this commandment, have you? Don't lie. Don't bear false witness. Don't lie. Have you ever told a lie? Anybody here want to say, no, I've never told a lie? Because you'll just prove that you just did. Right? We've all broken that one. 
You know, don't be covetous. And this covetous is the idea of just wanting something. It could be a thing. It could be a person, a relationship. Wanting it so much that you're willing to, to, you know, consider doing what's wrong to make it happen. To make it, he says, nothing. You shouldn't have anything in your life like that. Well, I've had that. I've broken that commandment of you. And the reality is when we look at the, just the simple list, right? I mean, you talk to somebody, you're a good person. Well, yeah, I've lived by the Ten Commandments. Well, no, none of us have. We have broken all of them. We have broken all of those commandments. Well, maybe you're here today and you have a little bit of religious knowledge and you say, well, wait a minute, that's Old Testament stuff, right? That's Old Testament stuff. Let's go to the New Testament and, and see what Jesus has to say. Well, Jesus only had two commandments. Hey, that sounds better, doesn't it? He says, love God with all your heart, all your soul, mind, strength. In other words, love God with your whole being. Don't love anybody or anything else more than him. And then love your neighbor like you love yourself. And then he ratcheted that up for Christians and said, love each other the way I've loved you. But it's loving God and loving people. Has there ever been a time when you did not love God as you ought to have? And we've broken that one. Is there ever a time when you put your own self-interest over somebody else? You were selfish, self-focused. We have, haven't we? We've broken that one. So Jesus only had two. And we've broken both of them. All right, so we're talking about God's love for us in the context of God's love. And, and we said that he, he loves us and perfectly and acts in our best interest even when it's costly to him. And, and yet here we are. This is our situation. We've broken the law, the God's moral law and the Ten Commandments. We've broken all of them. And we've broken the two commandments that Jesus gave, both of those together. Go on with that slide if you would, John, okay? And so here we are. Do we deserve to be loved? Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, what this tells us that every one of us have failed to measure up to God's standard, which is, is his glory. Okay? God's standards. It's, you know, if you want to say, hey, I think I'm a good person, you know, the way we tend to do this, we compare ourselves with other people, don't we? I guarantee you, you can always find somebody who's not as good as you, okay? And you can try to pat yourself on the back and comfort yourself over that. But the deal is, God is not comparing you to other people to determine where you're at. He's comparing you to his standards, the glory of God, the perfect standards of God. And he says here, we've all fallen short, haven't we? We've all missed it. And Jesus, as he, we've already seen and done in the Sermon on the Mount, at one point he finally says, be perfect like the Heavenly Father is perfect. Nobody's perfect, right? Are you with me on that? I mean, I've known a few people who thought they were. But nobody is perfect. They just aren't. And that's the point. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's standards. 
And this is where God's love, the context for God's love becomes so powerful. So let's, let's, let's continue down this line. So we, we saw here this idea, for God so loved the world, but then he talks about there's a possibility of perishing and, and, and that we're condemned already if we haven't received Christ. And it's this very thing that we're talking about, this sin problem. And so here we are in this lifetime. And if we do not resolve this problem in this lifetime, we're in big trouble. Okay? The Bible says, uh, go ahead and go to that next slide for me if you would there, John, that it is appointed for men to die once. But after this, the judgment. And so we can go through life, you know, rationalizing, justifying, doing our own thing, figuring out all we want. But the idea is we've all sinned against God, and if we die in that condition, we will stand before God in judgment for those things. And based on what we've already said, the law, the Ten Commandments, the two commandments that Jesus gave, when God evaluates you in judgment, will you be innocent or guilty? We'd all be guilty at that judgment. And if God is determining your destiny, heaven or hell, on the basis of your innocence or your guilt, what's your destiny? It's hell. It's separation from God forever in a place of torment. I don't like to tell you that, but it's what the Bible says. All right, so God loves everybody. Nobody deserves to be loved. We all deserve to perish, as our passage of Scripture says. Oh, but here's where we come face to face with this love that changes everything. Because God loves us so much, God has provided a way for us. And that's, that's what our, our, our verses are about. Let's look at them again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And now, that isn't, that he, that's a summary with so much that the Bible tells us. But here's what it's talking about. When it says he gave his only son, the son of God existed with God, uh, the Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They've existed together for all eternity, one God. But then God the Father sent his son into the world Became a human being. We celebrate that at Christmas time, his birth, coming into the world. But he lived a, a, a sinless, perfect life because he was God in human form. God in human form, right? He, he never sinned, never did. And so the idea is we are supposed to be perfect, but we can't. How many times you gotta mess up not to be perfect? That happened ages ago for me. Well, Jesus was perfect for us. Because we couldn't be, he was perfect for us. And the Bible tells us that, that when he uh, became an adult and began teaching that there came a point in time where he was crucified. He was put to death. And God could have stopped that, but God allowed it. And God allowed it for a reason, because as Jesus died on the cross, as he hung there on the cross, the Bible said that he was perfect. He didn't have any sins of his own to pay for. He could pay for my sins and pay the penalty for your sins. And so the Bible tells us that his heavenly father took all of our sins and placed them on Christ. And Jesus died 
paying the penalty for our sins. Three days later, he rose again from the dead, and he's alive in heaven. But I want you to understand, this is what the Bible says in in 1 Peter. It says that uh, Jesus, his death, he himself is the satisfactory payment for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Satisfactory payment. Have you ever had any big bills that you had to pay? And you kept paying and finally you got a notice that it was now paid in full. Satisfactory payment. No more owed. Jesus is that for us. He is the satisfactory payment. There is nothing that you need to add to this payment in order to, as as it talks about here in our passage, to be saved, to be not condemned, to have eternal life. Nothing else you need to add. Jesus' death, satisfactory payment, payment in full. And so it works like this. If you can imagine a situation where you became very, very wealthy, Okay, now how wealthy is that to you? I don't know, but very, very wealthy. And through a, a, a course of circumstance and events that, that weren't really even in your control, things spiraled out of control, and now you are bankrupt and you are owing debt that you can't even imagine ever paying back in your lifetime. And now you get legal notice, and you're called to court, and it's demanded that you pay and you aren't able to pay. And they said, okay, well, it's, you know, we're gonna give you an opportunity a little while to pay, but if you don't pay, here's what's gonna happen. You are going to jail, and you're going to jail until it's paid off. And so you'll be sitting in jail, unable to pay it off, and gotta stay there until it gets paid off. Not gonna happen, is it? And at this point, somebody steps up to you and hands you an envelope, and you open it up, and inside is a check written for the entire amount that you owe. And it's written to the person that you owe it to or the people that you owe it to. And all you have to do, they say, all you gotta do is you just gotta countersign it yourself. And then this will pay all that debt clear. This check is satisfactory payment. The money's in the bank, you write the check, it's gonna clear, it's there. All you gotta do is Say, okay, I'll accept it. Now, what do you think you'd do? Well, you might say, wait, I don't know, is this true, (laughs) right? This seems too good to be true. Well, what's required of me? So you ask, well, what's required of me? All that's required of you is to sign it and say, okay, I accept it. That's it. Nothing else is required. Well, what are you expecting? What do you want from me? And the guy says, well, I want you to love me. (laughs) Anything else? Yeah, I want you to come to work for me. Well, what if I don't? Hey, I told you all you gotta do is sign, right, and accept it. You don't have to come for work for me. You don't have to love me. You don't have to do anything. All you gotta do is accept the payment. But yeah, I do want you to come to work for me. I do want you to love me. I do want you to to get connected with me and go through the rest of your life with me. So what would you do? Would you accept the check? Well, see, that's where we are with God. 
Jesus has made satisfactory payment for our sins, all of them, paid in full. And he says, it's yours, it's yours, you want it? If you want it, you just have to accept it. Well, what do I gotta do? Nothing, you just gotta, by faith, accept it. Well, you looking for anything else after this, God? Well, yeah, I want you to love me. Yeah, and I want you to come work for me and serve me with your life, but well, do I have to do that stuff? No, this is a free gift, it's a gift. All you gotta do is accept it. Well, how do we do that? What does this look like in our lives? Well, what did our passage say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, when the Bible uses the word believe, it, it isn't just some simple idea of, oh, I believe that. That's not what it's talking about. So let's use an illustration to help us understand this. And I've talked to you about this before. A man named Blondin, he was a guy from France who came over in the mid-1800s the United States and began putting on tightrope walking shows. This guy was amazing. Back in 1859, he walked across the Niagara Gorge just down below the falls a little ways. And he was just not any ordinary tightrope walker. In fact, I think in this picture here, he's carrying his manager across on his back. Okay? But he would go out there, and sometimes he'd use his pole, sometimes he wouldn't. He'd go out and he'd lay down on the, the, the rope and uh, sit on the rope. And sometimes he'd climb under it, hang under the rope with one hand and climb back up and go on. I mean, he did crazy things. He took out one day a small stove. This is true. I'm not making this up. He took out a small stove and, and some, uh, a bag or something in it. He took it out the middle and somehow rather with the stick balanced it and he started a fire in it and he cooked himself an omelet and then packed it all up. And, uh. I mean, he was amazing. He would do backflips on it, somersaults. I mean, it's on and on and it goes. Okay, well, one day he shows up and crowds are there. He pushes a wheelbarrow out onto the to the tightrope, okay? Pushes the wheelbarrow out there. Go ahead and go to that slide, yeah. He pushes the wheelbarrow out there and he goes all the way across from the American side to the Canadian side and then comes all the way back and, and then they pile the bag full of bags of something. It is, I read different accounts. Some said it was potatoes, some said it was sand. Doesn't matter, but he filled up the wheelbarrow and carted it all the way across and carted it all the way back. And then he yells to the crowd, who believes that I can push someone across in this wheelbarrow. Who believes? Hmm. <laughs> Who believes? And then he asks, who wants to get in the wheelbarrow? Who will get in? Would you get in? I mean, what's happening the crowd, the whole crowd saying, yes, we believe, we believe you can do that. And he said, well, who will get in? Cricket. <laughs> Nobody was sure about getting in. Finally, a little old lady came forward in the crowd. And he climbed in. And he pushed her all the way across and all the way back. Now, someone who would get in really believes, don't they? really believes. Now, turns out this lady was his mother. <laughs> but she still had to really believe, didn't she? To get in the wheelbarrow. 
Well, this is sort of what we're talking about when it comes to believe the way the Bible talks about it. When the Bible talks about believing, it, there's the two big concepts that come together in there. One is knowing. One is knowing what we know. Uh, lots of times people say, well, I know about God. I know that there is a God. I know there's the Bible. I know there was a Jesus. All that kind of stuff. And they would say, well, I believe. But no, they don't really believe. They just, what? They just know. Because when the Bible talks about believe, it isn't just knowing. It includes the idea of trust. Trust. Okay, I know this is true. I am now going to trust that it's true. I am going to get in God's wheelbarrow. I'm going to trust him to do that. And so... We saw here what happens to those who believe, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God saves. God gives eternal life to everybody who chooses to believe like this. No longer condemned. And so then what we need to do is to choose to believe so we can be saved. So where are you at with this this morning? Verse number 18 says, he that believes is not condemned. There is no more condemnation. Remember, satisfactory payment, all done. But he who has not believed, already condemned. Already lost. Already on the road to perishing. So where are you at this morning? Maybe more important question, where do you want to be? In just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to get in God's wheelbarrow. To place your faith in him so that every sin gets forgiven. And you have eternal life and God himself moves in and begins to work on you from the inside out. What you have to do is you have to acknowledge that what we've seen today is true. That I I know that I have sinned. I know that I have. And I understand my sin separated me from God. It's about perishing. It's about being condemned. I don't want that. I believe Jesus did die for my sins and rise again from the dead. I really believe that. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to get in God's wheelbarrow when it comes to this. By receiving Christ as Savior. In just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity just to say a, a silent prayer with me. To get into God's wheelbarrow. And understand that as we do that, these are not magic words. It's not religious stuff that you say. It's about you genuinely from your heart and mind saying, okay, God, here I am, and this is what I want. So let's bow our heads. Would you bow your heads with me now? Everyone's head bowed. Everyone's eyes closed. Please, nobody looking around. We want this all to be private before God. If you're here saying, yes, I I want to have my sins forgiven. I want what we've talked about today. I want Jesus' satisfactory payment to be my payment. That's what I want. And you've never done that before. It's just, you've never been to this place before. And right now you say, okay, that's what I want. Then right now, in your heart and mind, silently pray. Say this to God, something like this, in your own words. Say this to God. Say, God. And again, you're praying silently. God knows and hears. God, I know that I have sinned. I know that my sins have separated me from you. 
And I know that if I stand before you in judgment on this, that I'll go to hell. That's not what I want, God. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe his death was satisfactory payment for my sins. I believe that he rose from the dead. And right now, I receive Jesus as my savior. Right now, I accept his payment as the payment for my sins. Right now, I believe, I know, I trust. Right now, God, I'm getting in your wheelbarrow. Now, with everybody's heads still bowed and eyes closed, please, I want, if you just prayed with me to make that decision, I want to pray for you that you'll, it'll really be clear to you and that you'll understand it and it'll, it, this, you'll have experienced this love that begins to change everything in your life. So in just a moment, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand if you prayed that prayer so that I can pray for you. So with nobody looking except for me, if you just prayed with me to receive Christ as Savior right now, would you just raise your hand so I can see it? Yes, I see those hands. Thank you, you can put them down. Father, I do thank you for each of these people who at this moment in time have received your son as Savior. I pray, Father, that it will be very, very real to them. They will know that you have forgiven every sin, that they have eternal life, and that you've come to live within them. I also pray, Father, that now that they will begin to love you back and that they will go to work for you, so to speak, and begin to serve in their lives, that they'll grow, Lord, and they'll get connected with a, a, a church that will teach them how to, to do that, either here or some other church that, that teaches your word. But we ask you to work in their lives, Father. Make this very real to them. Thank you for your love that changes everything. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.